Well, good morning. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, and we are going to examine verses 14 through 20 this morning. It's so good to see you here this morning. As you make your way to Matthew chapter 17, a couple of years ago, my family and I took a trip to Colorado. And if you've ever been to Colorado, you know it is some of the most beautiful scenery in the country, the Rocky Mountains. The, uh, we were in the San Juan National Forest, and we stayed there for a week. And one day we took a drive, and we went to a lake that had a trail around it. And at that elevation, we were at about 10,500 feet above sea level. It was quiet. And when I say it was quiet, it was quiet like you've never experienced. Tranquil, peaceful. No bugs, not even, not even bugs making noise. It was quiet nature. And then we went driving around and we we're looking at other mountains that are 12,000, 14,000 feet tall, feet above sea level. And you can't help but feel sort of disconnected from the world. When, when we're up on that road and we're looking down and we see houses and towns and cars and cows, they all, they all look so small. When, when you're on a mountain and, and you're that high on a mountain, they're so physically removed from the world, it seems like it's a different place. Doesn't it? Have you ever been on a mountain and just looked out and, and you just feel above it all? And you look at the cars and the cows and they look like ants just scurrying around and, and everything seems so small. When we think about what we talked about last week, the disciples were on a mountain with the Lord Jesus and they saw this great miraculous transfiguration of Jesus, right? They saw the glory of God, the, the kind of... the the film of familiarity that they had, they saw the glory that Jesus had. So they had this mountaintop experience. There's all these Old Testament quotations and references, and they're seeing Moses and Elijah, and Peter wants to camp out there, and he knows this is, this is amazing. This is a, I mean, we talk about a mountaintop experience. If there ever was one, this is it. But just like in Colorado... Just like the disciples, you eventually have to come down from the mountain. And as you come down from the mountain, that's when you're confronted again with the problems. With the things that look so small, but now are really the, the right size, the life size. And I think it's true for us. Often we come down from the mountain and we encounter life. Maybe it's you come on a Sunday morning and you... You feel so energized and you feel so rejoice, you're rejoicing so much. You've had such a wonderful Sunday, but then maybe you don't even make it to lunch and then you're confronted with problems, big problems, large problems. Or maybe it starts on a Monday. Or maybe you've been in a large problem for a while. I think what we often struggle with is we're on the mountain and we enjoy being there, and, and our problems seem so small, and that's why we like being at the mountains. We like being at the mountaintop. We like the mountaintop experiences because it makes our problems feel so small like ants. And the problem is when we come down from the mountain, it flips. Have you ever been there when instead of your problems looking like ants and you being at the top of the mountain, your problem feels like a mountain and you feel like an ant? 
We have these moments in our lives where we don't know what to do with these large problems. It's so much bigger than us. It's so much larger than us. What do we do? Well, there's other options you could consider. You could consider the answer that a secular person, an atheist, might make, which is believe in yourself. You have everything you need within you. So when you need to confront that mountain, don't look outside of yourself. Look inward. Believe in yourself. But I think any of us that are honest have been in those moments where we realize we don't have what it takes. There's not enough within us. We don't have perpetual strength, energy, patience, understanding. So we run up against the wall of our own finite being. So the secularist would say, believe in yourself. The legalist, the legalist would say, believe in your obedience. Just be better. If you would just do better, things would go better. If you have things going on in your life that maybe are hard, maybe it's because you're not obeying enough. But I think we've all had those instances where we felt, I'm, Lord, I, I'm doing my very best with your help to follow you with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength, and I still don't understand, Lord, you know I couldn't handle another thing, so why have you placed this mountain right in front of me? So, you could believe in yourself, you can believe in your obedience, and then there's another legalist, kind of the same thing, but it's different, it's the prosperity gospel, which says, don't believe in yourself, don't believe in your obedience, believe in your belief. In other words, a prosperity preacher would come along and say, if you just had a bigger faith, if your faith was not so small, that problem would have been removed by now. So obviously the problem is your faith isn't big enough. You're not believing hard enough. You're not believing consistently enough. So believe in your belief. Believe stronger. Just be better about believing. So those, those are three options. Believe in yourself. Believe in your obedience. Believe in your belief. But then we come to a passage like this and we see that none of those are the answer. The good news, the gospel, the, the, the truth that brings us rest is that the scriptures don't tell us to believe in any of those things. The scriptures tell us to believe in Jesus Christ. To rest, place your faith and trust in Him, not in the quality of your faith, not in the consistency of your obedience, not in your own resources and power and wisdom. What we are called to trust and rest in is Christ Himself. So we have moments in our lives where we have big problems. We have large problems, but then the problem is only compounded by the fact that we look and we realize we have little faith. We have small faith. What do we do when we have large problems and little faith? The central truth I want you to see today that we're going to examine is this. Bring big problems to a bigger God. Trusting He can do the impossible. Even with the smallest faith. Let me say that again. Bring big problems to a bigger God. Trusting he can do the impossible, even with the smallest faith. When we come to our text this morning, we see that 
there's a man that approaches Jesus and he has a big problem, a large problem. Notice in verse 14, it says, When they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. So they've come down off the mountain and immediately Matthew tells us the story of a man who comes and the scene is set. This man is, they're coming down from the mountain and, and, and is it that life, right? You're coming down from the mountain, it's Sunday morning, or maybe you had a great, has this ever happened to you? You had a great quiet time that morning, and then the rest of your day is so chaotic that it feels like that time you spent in the morning was a totally different day. Like, you are there, you you read your Bible and you pray, but the rest of the day is so crazy that you don't feel like those were the same day. That's, that's, That's what this is like. This man comes to him. And he says, have mercy on my son. Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures. He suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus replied, you believing and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and from that moment the boy was healed. Verse 19. Then the boys approached, I'm sorry, then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. For you. So what we see is this man has a, a large problem. He approaches, and notice he he says he it comes, he approaches Jesus and he kneels down before him. This is a sign of respect. He's approaching Jesus with a spirit of humility. He's run out of options and he's coming to his last uh, hope. And he's coming to Jesus. And he says, now what Matthew does here is really interesting because He says, have mercy, have mercy. And that language is used in the Old Testament exclusively in prayers to Yahweh, to the Lord of of God of the Old Testament, in the Psalms. And this phrase is used in Matthew when someone is going to be healed by Jesus. You can look at Matthew 9.27 where Jesus heals two blind men. They say, Lord, have mercy. On us. Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman asks for healing for her possessed daughter, and Jesus heals her using the same language. Have mercy. In Matthew 20, 31, two blind men are healed. So immediately, Matthew is saying that Jesus is being addressed here as if he is Yahweh, the Lord, and that's because he is. Now, the boy is described as having seizures and suffering terribly. Uh, He's often harmed physically. Your translation might say he has epileptic seizures. And that's kind of a a way to make sense of what the, the language is saying here. And it's possible, but that's not even really the point. The point is it's a big problem. And it's an even bigger problem than Matthew initially lets on. Because you notice he says he has seizures and suffers terribly. I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. He's thinking there's a physical malady, there's, there's a sickness that cannot be addressed, and your disciples couldn't heal him. But there was a deeper issue at work. 
Jesus is aware of this, but the disciples are not. And the disciples could not heal the boy, he says. I brought them to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, why does this even matter? Why does this need to be... Uh, I mean, so they, they're not God, right? So they couldn't do what God, only God can do. That shouldn't surprise us. Well, one issue is that Jesus gave the 12 disciples the authority to heal and to cast out demons. If you go read in Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, Jesus gave the 12 disciples authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. So they had been given the authority to address this exact issue, but they couldn't do it. So this is a big problem. He has a son who is hurt very often, and there's no more options his world is, is collapsing around him and, and he is facing this problem. And it, we encounter those situations too, don't we? They remind us of how big the world is and how small we really are, how powerless we really are. I don't know what it is for you. It may not, you may not even want to say it's a problem that makes you feel that way because you don't want to call that person or that, that thing a problem, but... But there's a situation, maybe, that makes you feel small and powerless because it's a problem you know you can't handle. And as we look at this, notice, first of all, I want you to see the grace of God. Because Jesus comes down from the mountain and meets the man. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. Jesus came down. That's the whole point of Jesus' incarnation. God came down to us. So before we ever realize, this man might have said, I, 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 I'm running out of options. I don't know what to do. But before he had gotten there, and he, his whole life, he's been dealing with this. But Jesus knew there was a coming a day when his path and his path would cross. And the grace of God meets you where you are. Whatever that situation is, understand that before we say anything about what you need to do, understand the passage, before the passage even begins, before your problem even begins, before you begin to even address it, understand Jesus is coming down the mountain. But then secondly, you need to acknowledge that this is a problem you can't control or fix. Whatever that big problem is, acknowledge that this is out of your hands. Sometimes the reason we don't go to Jesus for help is because we're so trying to manage it ourselves. We so want to be the ones to keep our hands on it, to keep the control. We want to be able to fix it ourselves. But sometimes we just have to start by admitting that we need to let go. It's beyond us. It's bigger than us. So there's this big problem. Remember, bring your big problems. We have them. This man has them. But what does he do? Jesus says, I, uh, you believing in a perverse generation. But then eventually he says, bring him here to me. That's where we're getting the bring from. He brought the boy to Jesus. So Jesus responds. And really he has an, kind of an unexpected response. But then the expected response. The unexpected response is what he says immediately after that. I don't know. I can prove that they were shocked. But just imagine you're there and a man comes and he says, 
help my son, he's sick. Can you help him? And Jesus' first words are, you perverse and crooked generation. I don't know how you would have responded, but you might not have been able to make heads or tails of it. But what is he, who's he talking to, first of all? Well, I think he's talking to the crowd in verse 14, but he's also talking to the disciples. The disciples have obviously failed in some sense. But we also see... He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, these are two references from Deuteronomy of Moses and the Lord. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, and then in verse 20, this comes out of uh, that passage in Deuteronomy 32 where Moses speaks and Yahweh speaks. And so remember, we had on the transfiguration, Jesus is the truer and better Moses, but he's also God. And here we have Jesus using words that both Moses and the Lord speak. So he's, he's here for deliverance. He's God coming to save his people. But then he even says, how long, right? Look at the language. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Right? This echoes uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 27, where again, the Lord is speaking. So Jesus is speaking the Lord's words. And why, why would Jesus say something like that? Well, I think it's the lack of faith of his disciples. Especially those who had just been on the mountaintop with him. I mean, imagine the picture. They have just seen what they saw on the mountain. But then they turn around and their faith is so small that they can't heal after what they've just seen. I would be frustrated too. Jesus has accepted. I mean... Jesus knows the crowd is going to reject him. He knows that people are going to reject him. But the disciples, especially the three that had just been on the mountaintop. So he rebukes them. But then he says, bring the boy to me. And then it says, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Jesus did what the disciples couldn't do and what nobody else could do. Not only does he deal with a physical issue, he deals with the spiritual issue. He rebukes the demon. There's been no mention of a demon here in this passage in Matthew's account. There's no mention of a demon, but he rebukes the demon. It comes out of him. And from that moment, Matthew says, the boy was healed. That moment, that fast, Jesus has that authority. That power. And so Jesus, again, is God himself. He heals the boy. He casts out the demon. That's what God does. That's the expected response. We expect God to do those kinds of things. But the point of of all this is that Jesus' response, both his word and in his deed, portrays him as the son of God. He speaks as God because he is God. And he heals as God because he is God. He is Yahweh. He has the authority. So that's instructive for us. Why does that matter? Well, what did the man do? He brought his boy to Jesus. Whatever big problem you are facing, bring the big problem to a bigger God. A God who is bigger than any problem you're facing right now. And not just God in some vague, like, like national deity sense, but to Jesus. Bring the big problem to Jesus. I mean, think about it. You see a dentist about your teeth. You see a podiatrist about your feet. When we have a problem with these, we know who to go to. We know where to turn. But what about life's big problems? Where do you go? 
Oh, we, we, tr- we trust so many other things. We, we turn to your, you, you turn to your own wisdom. I've lived enough to know how to handle this. I've had enough education to know what to do in this situation. I have enough financial resources. I have enough community support. I have all these things, this wisdom, this power, this strength, this money, whatever it is. Listen, bringing your problems and entrusting them to those resources will not deal with life's big problems. You might get a temporary fix. You might get a temporary reprieve, but it doesn't solve the problems when the problems are bigger than you. So the man has a big problem, and we need, he brings it to Jesus. Bring your big problems to a bigger God because he can do the impossible. That's what he does, right? He heals, out, he heals the boy. He casts out the demon. Now, we've seen this, and the disciples begin to wonder, okay, why couldn't we do this? So the disciples... Respond in verse 19. What does it say? They approach Jesus privately. So there's a little bit of shame, I'm thinking. They're a little embarrassed. They're followers of Jesus. They're supposed to be able to do this. They have a little bit of uh, anxiety about what happened. And they said, why could we not drive it out? And again, Jesus had given them authority. But notice what he says. Here's the reason. Because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. What, what does Jesus mean? Why does Jesus say that? Well, there's a couple parts to this answer. It's not an easy answer. Uh, I think one, answer, one part of the answer is in the question. What do they say? Why couldn't we drive them out? I think what's going on here is, is although they had been given authority, what they were really trusting in was themselves. Why couldn't we? Because think about it. Couldn't they have asked, Lord, why didn't you use us to drive out? But no, they ask, why couldn't we? So I think that's part of the answer. But I think a second part of the answer is the nature of their faith. Notice, they have faith. They're disciples. Jesus doesn't say, you don't have faith. He says, it's because of your little faith. Right? It's the little faith of the disciples. And what makes it little faith? Well, well, they understand, they assent, they, they say, I, I understand, I think it's true, but they're not trusting totally. And I think we see that in their question. Why couldn't we? They weren't relying completely on the Lord's power. So that's another part of the answer. A, sec, a third part of the answer is, is in the word itself. Because it doesn't indicate an absence of faith, but a, a broken or insufficient faith. A faith that is small so as to be weak. It means a doubting of God's providence or a failure to accept Jesus' miraculous power. But all of that aside, there's one other part of the answer that Jesus says here. He says, notice, it's not about the size of the faith. In other words, Jesus says, you didn't cast them out because of your, you didn't, it was because of your little faith. But it's not even about the faith. It's about what the faith is in. Because notice, faith can be even the size of a mustard seed. So if, it's, if you can move mountains with little faith and the disciples have little faith, why couldn't they cast out the demon? Their faith was somewhere it shouldn't have been. 
And Jesus uses this, this teaching that's common for the era and uh, for that time where he talks about the, the faith of a mustard seed and moving mountains. Because look at what Jesus says. He says, because of your little faith, verse 20, for truly I tell you, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would tell this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, a lot of times this is read literally. Well, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have moved or either seen a literal mountain moved? <laughs> I haven't. Because that's not really the point. This is something, this is a, a teaching expression that was used at the time to illustrate. Jesus is using language that's common to his time to say, it's not about the size of the faith. It's about where that faith is. And if, his, if their faith had been in the right person or in the right place, nothing would be impossible for them. So the question for us is, where is the right place? Where should I put my faith? What should I trust when I find that there are big problems in my life that I can't handle? The text tells us it's not in yourself. It's not even in the size of your faith. It's in Christ. Because when we trust Him, even with the smallest faith, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, if you put it in the Lord Jesus, nothing is impossible. That's the point of the passage. Nothing will be impossible for you. So think of it this way. The potency, the power of faith is not in faith itself. The size of it, the consistency of it, the quality of it, the quantity of it. The power of faith is whatever that faith is put in. So the question is this morning, when you're encountering those big problems, what are you putting your faith in? What are you trusting because if you trust in anything else other than Jesus, you're putting it in something that is not bigger than your problem. But when you trust the Lord, even the little bit of faith that you have can make the impossible possible. So bring big problems to a bigger God Trusting he can do the impossible even with your smallest faith. And isn't this so encouraging to us? Wherever you are right now, whatever big problem you're facing right now, the first step for you is not to go to the gym, the spiritual gym, and work up, work out, build your faith muscles so finally you can be strong enough. No, you can put your faith in Jesus right now. The smallest faith, the weakest faith in a perfect, strong Powerful Savior is enough. So bring your big problem. Bring it to Him today. Bring it to Him right now when we have a moment where you can respond. Maybe you need to come and bring it. You need to get up out of your seat and bring it and lay it before the Lord. Whether it's a, maybe it's a problem with others. Something that you're struggling with with other people. Maybe it's a problem with the situation you have or a situation you're in. Or maybe it's a problem within yourself. You're struggling with a sin. You're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with temptation. And, and you, you're, you're so beside yourself, you, you don't know where to turn. Turn to Jesus. And our great assurance and the promise that is, is held out to us is that not only has God 
met big problems in Jesus. But in the coming of Jesus, God met our biggest problem. The biggest problem you and I face has never been physical sickness. It's never been a, a, a physical affliction. Our biggest problem is spiritual. Our biggest problem is that we are sinners who've rebelled against God, gone our own way, and made ourselves His enemies. And there's nothing we can do. That is a problem that is bigger than us. Because if we're the ones who have sinned, how can we look into ourselves to find the solution? That's drinking from a poison well, folks. So what hope do we have? Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He laid down his life on the cross. And he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins, for our rebellion. And he was buried. And then he rose again on the third day. And now we have the assurance as Christians, as believers, as sons and daughters... That our biggest problem has been dealt with. So everything we face today and this week pales in comparison. But it also means if God has solved and dealt with our biggest problem. Why would we not bring any other problem to him? So what's the big problem you're facing? Maybe it's not even just the big problems. Maybe it's the number of small problems. Can I get an amen? Right? Sometimes all those little problems add up to one big problem. Whatever it is, bring your big problems to the bigger God who can do the impossible even with your small faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time and for the, the promise that's given to us, Lord, that God, were it up to, the, to, us, were it up to us to improve ourselves, to make ourselves better, Lord, to meet some requirement before we could have a hope of bringing our problems to you, God, we would be utterly hopeless, but you have done what is necessary, and Lord, we have hope. Lord, every single one of us here has a problem, a big problem, whether it's our sin, if it's our sin, if, we've, if there's someone here who's never trusted in Christ, Lord, that's where they need to start, is coming to you for salvation. But for those of us who have, Lord, we endure great trials, whether it's with family, friends, work. God, every one of us in here has something. God, may we bring it to you because you're bigger than our problems. You're bigger than our big problems and you can do the impossible. And so, Lord, let us not be held back by thinking that our faith isn't what it should be. We're not living how we should be. We're, we're a failure. We, there's no way God would want to handle my big problem after the week I've just had. None of that is true. We can come with our small faith and find a big God who loves us, who can save us, who can deliver us, who can do the impossible. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.